We've been in a study of this psalm for several weeks, and we have several more to go. We are just plodding our way through it, taking it bit by bit, piece by piece, and I hope you have enjoyed this study as much as I have enjoyed studying for it. We're going to read it together again, just like we have been nearly every week. I want these words to find a home in your heart. David writes, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. This is the part we'll be looking at today. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're asking you to give us great insight this morning. I'm asking, Lord, that you take us deeper into some familiar passages than we may have ever gone before. I pray that you will give us a desire to learn, a desire to see something that can really touch us deep within our soul. And I pray, Lord, that we will resist the temptation to judge those that have gone before us and make this applicable in our own lives. I'm asking that you limit distractions so that we can truly see. I'm asking, Father, that you make me a communicator of biblical truth. Get me out of the way, and I pray, Lord, that you will speak today. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. Stay there in Psalm 19 with me, but let's go back one more time. Verse 8, the last half of it. David says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now let's put a pin in that, we're going to come back to it, but let's put a pin in that and explore some biblical history. In essence, I'm going to ask you to go on a hike with me. We are going to hike our way through some biblical history that is crazy interesting and intriguing. I have had a blast this week studying in Scripture, and I am hoping and praying that you will enjoy it as much as I have. Some of you may think to yourselves, gosh, he's just kind of goofy. But I hope you stay with me all the way through this because this is interesting stuff. It all begins in the year 1447 B.C., 1447 B.C. In the late part of that year, God came down from heaven and met Moses in a burning bush. 
Later in that year, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh on God's behalf and on behalf of the Hebrew people. It did not go well. After that year finished, in the year 1446 B.C., some interesting things happened. Right at the beginning of that year, the plagues began. Now, I want to put some things up on the screen for you so we can go through this really fast, but this history is of the utmost importance. Pay close attention. Here we go. In April of 1446 B.C., the final plagues took place, and subsequently, the exodus. Keep close track of the timeline. In May, the Hebrew people ate manna for the first time. God miraculously provided quail for them, as well as water from a rock. In that same month, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, visited to help him sort out some issues with how to lead the people. In June, just three months after leaving Egypt, they arrived in Sinai, where they spent two days preparing to meet the Lord, and then God came down, and they received the Ten Commandments. Oh boy, did they receive the Ten Commandments. The entire world was changed as a result of that. When they received those commandments, God had spoken in the purest of ways, David would say to them. But when Moses came with the Ten Commandments, inscribed upon those stone tablets, he saw the Hebrew people worshiping an idol, a golden calf that they had made during the 40 days that he was gone. And he was mad. In fact, I want you to see what Scripture says about it. Keep a pen there in Psalm chapter 19. But join me in Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, verse 19. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing... Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. His anger burned hot. A lot of times today in just normal conversation, when we talk about being angry about something, we'll use the expression, I was hot. I was just hot. That's a biblical expression. That was, that was Moses. Moses was hot when he saw what was going on. And he held those commandments in his hands, those stone tablets, and he threw them down on the ground. And then you heard what happened. He took it from there. And he dealt with them. Then Moses went back up on the mountain. And he received the commandments again. God called him back up there. In September of that same year, 1446 B.C., he came back down and had to veil his face because the glory of the Lord was shining so brightly in his face and around his head and his countenance that Moses had to put a veil around that glory. Now, there's a lot of reasons that go with that, and we don't have enough time to get into it today. But just trust us that it was done for a reason. After that, they spent nine more months in Sinai around the base of the mountain. And then the wilderness wandering began. The first year was over. 
little more than a year was over since they had left Egypt. Now it was time to wander. And they did for 38 years. They wandered. But the part that is most intriguing to me is what happened in June of 1446 B.C. Moses received the commandments, the Ten Commandments. He received those and then the rest of the law was revealed to him over the course of the next 40 years. And he would give that to the people as well. But in June of that year, just a few months after the Exodus, he got the Ten Commandments. And he gave them to the people. Now if I were to ask you how they received the Ten Commandments, and we had enough time to poll everybody in this room, I would venture that well over 90% of you would say exactly what I just said, that Moses received the Ten Commandments and then gave them to the people. And you wouldn't be wrong, but I am not positive at all that you would be completely right. Now listen to that statement. You would not be wrong, but I am not positive at all that you would be completely right. I have, like I said, had just a great time this last week in my Bible, studying things in Scripture that I have studied for years and years and years, but I have seen them with fresh eyes and have seen some things that I had never seen before. And it is my hope that you will see those same things this morning. As we get into this, I'm going to ask you to keep an open mind because I'm going to say some things that may knock you a little bit off balance. So you hang with me. 90% or better of you would say that Moses received the Ten Commandments and gave them to the people, and you wouldn't be wrong, but you wouldn't be entirely right. So let me show you what I'm talking about. It is imperative for us to read Exodus chapter 19 and 20 when it comes to the issue of the Ten Commandments and how the Hebrew people received them. It is very important for us to do that. Exodus chapter 19 kind of sets the stage for everything that we have to talk about today, and it even sets the stage for how the Hebrew people did receive these commandments. We're not going to read all of it together, but turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. In fact, we're not going to read any of that chapter with one another. But get to Exodus 19, and I'm going to give you an outline of this chapter. So we'll put it up on the screen. It's also on the church app. You can see it there if you want to look at it. This is just a way of breaking down this chapter. Outlining is a very, very good Bible study technique. And if you ever want to go deeper into your study of Scripture, learn how to do it. Learn how to outline things. So here's a simple way to do this with Exodus 19. Number one, Moses sends a message to the people. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Break it down just like that. That's how I did it. Number two, the people send a message to God. Exodus chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. Now let me stop there for just a second. The message that the people sent to God was one of obedience. Whatever you say, we will do. Whatever you deliver to us, we will accept that. That was their message. They were ready to walk with God the rest of their life. For the last six months, they had seen the hand of God. And for three months, they have walked in the shadow of God. They were close to God. That was the message that they were sending back to him. Continue on in Exodus chapter 19. You'll see that God protected them with boundaries. He called them to the base of the mountain. And he said, don't come any closer. 
He put up a, a tape, if you will, around the base of the mountain. And he said, you stay on this side of it. Don't come any closer. Only Moses and a few select people will be able to cross that boundary. Anybody else that gets too close to it will die. In fact, the details of Scripture go on to say that they will either be stoned or shot, but they will not be allowed to approach the mountain. They must stay behind that boundary. Then number four, God came down onto the mountain, and Moses went up, and then Moses went down, and then Moses and Aaron went up. That's Exodus chapter 19, verses 14 through 20. You see the whole process of that. Moses went up and then went down, and then he took Aaron back up with him, and then they came back down. And when they came back down, something intriguing happened. Now, before we get to that, Exodus chapter 20 gives us the Ten Commandments. It is the most popular place that people turn to when they are studying the Ten Commandments. Most popular place people go in, in their Bibles, for good reason. They are laid out for us one by one, and it's a wonderful, wonderful passage. I'm going to trust that you have read it, and I'm even going to trust that you will read it again sometime very soon. There's the Ten Commandments. Now, here's the thing. You cannot study Exodus 19 and 20 without getting into Deuteronomy chapter 5 and a few other chapters as well. When you get into Deuteronomy, boy, you discover some things. So let's go there. Now, you've just looked at Exodus 19 and 20, most popular place people go, and now you're going to get into a place that fills in some blanks. And now you could even be thinking at this point, everything you just said, Phil, known that for a long time, grew up in Sunday school, that's all good, nothing groundbreaking yet. Well, let's break some ground. This is Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel... And said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, and then he goes into Deuteronomy's listing of the Ten Commandments. I want you to listen again to verse 4. In fact, don't just listen to it. If you've got a Bible in your hands, look at it and look close. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire. Now, how did the, the Hebrew people get the Ten Commandments? Oh, Moses. Moses brought them to them. But they heard part of them. They heard part of them. They listened to God face to face. He spoke to them. He spoke to them. Not just through Moses. He spoke to them. Stay in Deuteronomy chapter 5 with me. Go to verse 22. Here's some more details. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. 
and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but you stand here by me and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them and that they may do them in the land that I am giving them to possess. You shall be careful, careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. There's no mistaking it. There is no mistaking it. They were there, and they heard the Lord speak. And then in this last part of Deuteronomy chapter 5, they said to Moses, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. They interrupted God. They interrupted the whole conversation and they said, stop. We cannot continue to do this. We can, cannot continue to hear the voice of the Lord like this. You go, Moses, you go. And you get all of it and you bring it back to us. We will wait right here faithfully. We will wait right here. You go get what God has for us and you bring it back and we'll listen and we will listen intently. But we can't continue to do this. And God even listened to that and he said, they're right. They're right. They can't handle this. Now discovering all of that, I found myself jumping into some Jewish tradition. The resources that I used, just so that, that you know exactly where I was at, is a website called Shabbat.org. I go there a lot when I am looking for Jewish tradition, particularly in light of Christianity. And I also went to a place called Talmud.com. And I put both of those websites to work to search out what I could find on what I had just discovered for the first time. And here's what I found. Jewish tradition. The rabbis actually disagree over how all of this played out, but they agree that they were there and they heard the voice of the Lord. Now, here's some of their disagreement. There's one group of rabbis that say that the Hebrew people heard the first word from God, and then they said, we can't do this any longer. There's another group of rabbis that say they heard the first two commandments, and after hearing the first two commandments, they said, hold it. We can't do this anymore. This is too holy. This is too righteous. We cannot stand in the presence of a holy God and live. Now, here's the intriguing thing about that group of rabbis. They would tell you in the Hebrew language that there is a move between commandment number two and commandment number three where God speaks in the first person in the first two commandments and he begins to speak in the third person after that in the commandments. Now, I am not a, enough of a linguistics guy to be able to figure that out, but even as I've been reading it in English, I can see the shift. It's just difficult for me to grab. 
But it is amazing that the Jewish rabbis will say they were there and they heard it. Just as scripture tells us that. Our tradition, our safe way of thinking is that Moses went up on the mountain and he heard it and he brought it back. But they were there. They were there. They heard the voice of the Lord. Not only did they hear the voice of the Lord, but the Bible will tell us they saw some things. Oh man, did they see some things. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20 together. Exodus chapter 20. If you've been around a long time in our church, you know that I like to teach that when we really want to study the Bible, we've got to, we've got to study slow and small. This is one of those times. Just one verse. It's kind of earth shattering. Verse 18. Right at the end of the giving of the Ten Commandments or the listing of them. This is what Moses writes. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Do you notice anything curious? The natural world was upside down when God spoke on the mountain. And we know that because scripture says, now when all the people saw the thunder, when was the last time you saw thunder? They saw thunder. The natural world was upside down. Everything was off balance. They saw thunder. The rabbis would say they heard lightning. They saw thunder and they heard lightning. Some of our most modern translations follow a path of, of one sect of rabbis that say that that is just metaphorical language, illustrative language, and we don't need to pay close attention to it. There's a group of rabbis that would say that. They really would. But I don't tend to line up with them. I tend to line up with a different set of rabbis, one in particular that wrote in the third century A.D. His name is Rabbi Kiva. Here, we'll put it up on the screen for you. Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva has a very literal way of translating this passage. Listen to what he says. Got to get to the right place. Rabbi Kiva says they saw the sounds. When God said he's the only God, they didn't just hear that. By the way, Rabbi Kiva's words and all of his research is being translated right now through another author on Shabbat.org, and then I edited a lot of his writing for space and time, so you're getting it through some different editing. Rabbi Kiva says they saw the sounds. When God said he's the only God, they didn't just hear that, they saw that. Up until then, they had heard about an underlying reality beneath this world of sensation and tangible stuff. Intuitively, it made sense, but it was nowhere as real as the rocks on the ground and the sun in the sky. Now suddenly, that reality burst into center stage. God said, I am, and that became their reality. Wherever they looked, all they saw was a world of endless, perfect oneness of a creator beyond all existence. And they heard the sights. Amazing. Yet once this radical paradigm shift of Sinai had taken place, what was previously obvious suddenly demanded a great deal of evidence and imagination. 
Sinai was a revolution that turned the entire cosmic order on its head. Reality as we know it was shattered to reveal a deeper singular truth beyond or behind all things. At Sinai, infinite light poured down upon us, but with a goal, so that we earthly beings within our earthly limitations might welcome that light and allow it entry into our finite natural world. And in a natural world, people don't hear sights and see sounds. And you have to know that yes is yes and no is no. There's stuff that's good that must be embraced and stuff that's bad that must be rejected. But God took all of that and turned it upside down when he gave the commandments. And they heard thunder, or they saw thunder, and they heard lightning. God had their attention. By the way, you might say, is that really possible? Well, I wondered that myself. And so I did a bit of digging this week made my way to WebMD, where I discovered that there is actually a name for what they experienced. There is a medical condition, diagnosable medical condition for what they experienced as they stood at the base of the mountain. Here it is. It's called synesthesia. Synesthesia. I cannot really get my tongue to say it very well. Here's the definition of it. This is crazy. Synesthesia is when you hear music, but you see shapes. Or you hear a word or a name and instantly see a color. Synesthesia is a fancy name for when you experience one of your senses through another. For example, you might hear the name Alex and see green. Or you might read the word street and taste citrus fruit. The word synesthesia has Greek roots. It translates to perceive together. People who have this ability are called synesthetes. Synesthesia isn't a disease or disorder. It won't harm your health and it doesn't mean you're mentally ill. Some studies suggest people who have it, listen to this, may do better on memory and intelligence test than those who don't. And while it may seem easy to make up, there's proof that it's a real condition. And they were experiencing it at the base of the mountain as they heard lightning, and they saw thunder. Now, I don't have anything to back this up. This is just Phil's speculation. So take it with a grain of salt. But I'd really like to know if people could apply genealogy to synesthetes. Could they trace their lineage all the way back to Mount Sinai? Because researchers will tell you this. The most common thread for synesthesia is genetics. It is genetics. So it makes me wonder if they could trace it all the way back to ancestors that stood there. God had their attention. The natural world was upside down when God gave his commandments. Now it isn't just the things that we talked about that made this so dramatic. There's something else that happened. We find it in Exodus chapter 34. Or Exodus 24, I'm sorry. Exodus 24, starting in verse 1. When the covenant was confirmed, this is what happened. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with him 
Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Two things. The covenant is now in place and the commandments have been given. And Moses is standing in front of the people and he's read them. And the 70 elders go with him and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu. And they have another meeting with God. And in that meeting with God, this is what happened. All of their sacrifices, the blood of those sacrifices were held in basins. And Moses took the blood of those sacrifices and he threw it on them. And the covenant was sealed with blood And then the elders sat down in the presence of God and the Bible gives us this tiny little detail that is so significant. They ate and they drank with him. They had a meal with him. Do those two things remind you of anything at all? When the new covenant would be put in place, it would be sealed by blood and that would be the blood of Jesus and it would cover all, there you go. And God's people would be covered by that blood. And then God would offer us this wonderful opportunity to sit with him in what we refer to as the Lord's Supper. And we participated in a few minutes ago with Dini leading us into it. And the covenant would be agreed upon as we eat and we drink with him. And we would remember that meal forever. In fact, in the book of Revelation, Jesus would say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And that's how God seals covenants. That's how God seals covenants. He does it with blood and a meal. And he did it with them. And the commandments were in front of them. The commandments were in front of them. That's just something. So David says this. You put a pen in in Psalm 19. Let's, Let's go back to that. Listen to what he says. Verse 8. The commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It opens our eyes so that we can see how to walk with God. The book of Deuteronomy, we would actually find Moses writing about that purity. This is Deuteronomy chapter 4, starting in verse 9, where Moses writes, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on that day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on this earth, that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. 
Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you're going over to possess. And that's Moses' way of capturing what David said when David said the commandments of the Lord are pure. That's Moses saying this is how pure they are. I want you to think about the purity of those commandments. Think about it in light of who gave them. Think about it in light of who wrote them. Think about it in light of how they were delivered. And then if you do nothing else, think about the purity of those commandments in light of how long they have stood. This is 3,500 years later. 3,500 years later. And they stand. They stand. And if we will pay attention to them, they govern everything The first four of those commandments talk about our relationship with God. The last six of them talk about our relationship with the people that we live around. So that's why it was so easy for Jesus to boil them down, to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. They still stand the same way. That's why they're in courthouses. That's why we see them around all the time. That's why you can't run into anybody that isn't at least remotely familiar with the Ten Commandments because in the purity of them, they have stood for 3,500 years. 3,500 years. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And they are pure. They are pure. Now, the reason they're pure is because where purity finds a home within us. Jesus would help us understand that in the New Testament. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me, we're almost done. Listen to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When these commandments make their way into your heart, your heart becomes pure. It's purifying. It's purifying to live in a way that says, I will love the Lord my God and I will love those around me. It's purifying. Purity begins as a decision in our head, but then it makes its way to our heart and it purifies everything within us. And that type of purity, the type that David talks about and the type that that Jesus just referenced, that type of purity comes with a promise. It comes with a warning, but it also comes with a promise. Let me show it to you from both the Old Testament and the New. In the book of Deuteronomy, this is what we read, chapter 5, verses 32 and 33. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. There's the promise from heaven. Let that purity govern you and God will show you his faithfulness. In the New Testament, we read this, James chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, listen, he will be blessed in his doing. That's why Jesus could say, blessed are those who are pure in heart. And David would say, that when we really choose to live by these commandments, it will enlighten your eyes so that you can really see. You can see God and you can see others. In New Testament Christianity, there is a trap that we must avoid. We must avoid. That trap is to say that anytime we hear the word commandments or law under New Testament covenant, that's only talking about the Old Testament. Well, I want to remind you that Paul would write a great deal about that. In Romans chapter 3, he would tell us that the law was given to us to show us who we are. So that when we see who we are, we will see our need for a Savior and we will draw near to Him. So let me say this. I want to be very plain about this. I want to be very, very clear about this. I don't want anybody misquoting me at lunch. So just listen close. The law does not save us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. That's just biblical truth. But the law shows us who we are. The commandments show us who we are. And when we see that, we see our need for a Savior, and we get to draw near to him. I cannot say that any better than the Reverend Billy Graham. So I'll let him finish this out. Watch this. The closer you get to Christ, the more sinful you're going to feel. Did you realize that? Everyone who's ever seen a true reflection of God is deeply convicted of his own sin. Peter said, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. The fact that you're aware of your sin and feel guilty about it is a sign of spiritual life. 